morning, everybody. Welcome to episode number 174 of the Applog Podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. Today's podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp.com. It's affordable, private, online counseling anytime and anywhere. And we are hitting the time right now of seasonal depression. And it is a hard time for some people. And this might be able to help you out. So start a free seven-day trial by going to betterhelp.com slash apolog. Enter the code word apolog and get seven free days of uh, help that you might need. All right. I'd like to thank everybody for uh, shopping on Amazon. If you want to help out the show, you can go to apolog.ca slash Amazon or apolog.ca slash US Amazon. And you can also do it the old-fashioned way by going to apolog.ca and click on those uh, links on the right side. And you can bookmark all those links, and every time you shop on Amazon, you will be supporting the show. It costs you no extra money. If you're interested in supporting the show on a monthly basis, go to patreon.com slash You can pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis. It helps with my hosting and gas fees, and you can also cancel at any time. Go to applog.ca to buy a t-shirt. Don't forget to subscribe and rate and review the show on iTunes. Give it five stars, please. Like the show on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash pod and follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. Today on the show, I have Mr. Rod Slaughter, who is the founding member of Duotang. It's probably, it's my third, no, it's my, yeah, it's my third duo band in as many months, I think. Uh, Rod is in the band Duotang. And uh, he's an old friend from Winnipeg. Also played in a few other bands that I knew of. And um, well, what I'm going to do right now, because usually when I play the theme song of the show, it usually means I'm going to play one of their songs. So here it is. Here's a song for you. It's called Nostalgia's of Ice. Yes, the music is boring and the place is no fun. It's not been the same. 
That was Duetang Nostalgia's Advice. Let's get started. Here he is, Mr. Rod Slaughter on the Apple Podcast. Very proud to have him on the show. Hey, Rod. Hello, Simon. We should say hi again because we were talking just now. Yeah. Make it sound official. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I actually spoke to you. It's been a long time. I was trying to think of the times I used to see you all the time. I think this certainly wasn't the last time, but we both played with the Weaker Thans at that show at somewhere on Queen Street. I think Rural. I remember that. Yeah, that was a long time ago, though. But yeah, it's been a long time. I was thinking about you because I saw that I saw this Dutang video, and I thought, how incredibly awesome is that? I just saw it like it was like two weeks ago or something on Facebook. Oh, okay, yeah. And I thought, well, I haven't never heard this yet, and uh, what's going on with that? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so we we stopped playing like um, in 2002, I think. And uh, Sean and I were still friends, but, you know, I had gone on to play in a band called Novolero and doing some other stuff. And about two years ago, Mint was doing one of their Christmas parties and said, hey, do you guys want to reunite and come out to Vancouver and play this? And we thought, yeah, sure. So that was the first time we had played or done anything together in that long. And it was fun. And we kind of thought, you know, It'd be neat to just try working on some new stuff, just to see how it goes. So we did that. And at the same time, Sean was talking to Stomp Records, some good friends of ours in Montreal. And they said, hey, if you guys want to put out something, it has to be a full-length album, though. And then they would do it. So we frantically tried to finish off a bunch of songs and did it and put out the record. And it came out last at the end of last year. And uh, so we did a bunch of shows around that. And it's been a lot of fun. What does it feel like getting back together after so many years? God, it's over 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with Sean, actually, it was pretty seamless. Like it was, uh, you know, it almost felt like time hadn't really gone by. Um, and I think part of that is the way that we play together. You know, we never really sounded like we were of that time before, so it felt kind of natural now. Just it was always just our sound. Mm-hmm. And so uh, yeah, it felt it felt good. Did you find that age puts a lot of luggage away, so to speak, or heals old wounds or whatever? Like. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. There was no old wounds to begin with though. Like we just, we just, uh, I think frankly, like, you know, a bass and drums format, you kind of run out of ideas pretty quick. (laughs) So, um, and we didn't really want to change the band at all. So we just thought, okay, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there was no wounds at all. I don't think on my part anyway. I just had a metal duo band on, uh, uh, just last week or two weeks ago now. And I said that, the be- the worst part about being in a band with one other person is it's always a tie. Like when you go to, there's never democracy. It's always a struggle for who wins. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, we used to say also though, it was kind of nice because if you'd be on tour, we're, we used to tour all the time. And if you get into a fight or something, you know, the next day on tour, you look over and it's the only other guy to talk to. So it's like, well, we got to get along. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand. <laughs> I said with back in the Red Fisher days, there's always like someone in the middle to sort of, meet or to be the tiebreaker you know uh, oh yeah with three people but it's uh you know it's it's when you guys first did that i remember your first bass solo show actually and it was at the 701 mcmillan house and it was you in were the, at that i was i lived there oh okay and, and wow I, I forgot that and i i think it was with it might have been with two-line filler 
Oh boy, maybe. It might have been. It might not have been. But there was a few shows that went down over that one period of time. And I remember you playing, and I thought, how ballsy is that to get up and play bass and sing along to it? And I thought it was an incredible ballsy move, actually. I, I seem to. I remember very few things about that night, but I remember that. Uh... I was trying to work on some songs that ended up being duo tank songs. And I tried to do, this was the stupidest thing. I tried to do a cover of God only knows by the beach boys on a bass. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the three songs I played. I, I think the, I remember that. Yeah. And that was the first time I met John Sampson actually, cause he was at that uh, party. Right. You know, because you were always kind of in that Winnipeg music scene though, even before then, right? What was the band you played in before then? Uh, there was a band called Zen Bungalow that was more of like a kind of a Brit pop sort of thing. Yeah. Was that with like, Alan Wolandon played in that band or was that another? That's yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was trying and to remember funny, the name. Like, I, uh, I, I never think about that band because once Duo Tank started, that was the focus. But um, it wasn't long ago. I, I have a cassette player here that I haven't had in ages. And I put on some old cassettes and I listened back to that. And I thought, wow, that was that seems like a lifetime ago. But mm -hmm. it. It, it kind of struck me. I thought, you know, I can see why I would have liked this back then because it was very um, bands like Ride and stuff like that that I was very into at the time. But mm -hmm. it didn't seem like many other people were at that time. <laughs> yeah. But that was, yeah. It was a Winnipeg thing too. I mean, Winnipeg had such a neat way of all the bands kind of getting along in a way. And maybe it was just my way because I moved in there sort of like mid whatever, like propaganda hadn't even put out a record i just put out how to clean everything i think at that point yeah that was around that time and it's sort of like towards the middle part of red fisher's sort of and 12 eyes and all these bands and i and i kind of moved in there sort of injected myself into this new scene but my big observation was it didn't matter what type of music we were everybody seemed to know each other and get along that's the thing that's one of the things i think back to and and i really think winnipeg at that time had a really impressive music scene or art scene overall and, you know, many people sit around and try and figure out why that was. Was it because we didn't even have college radio back then? So it was complete isolationism or what? But um, one of the things that I remember is that no matter what type of band you are, and every band was very, very different, uh, but everybody was kind of friends. So we'd play a show with like, we used to do a lot of shows with kittens who were good friends of ours. Yeah. And then we'd be playing a show with a pop band and everybody were friends and they just did their own thing. Yeah. Yeah. And did Sam Mugglover actually do much traveling out West? No, well, a couple little shows, but no, not really. Yeah, because it seemed like, well, yeah, it seemed like that was sort of like the band that was sort of like the Brit band or whatever, and then Propaganda was the you know the punk band, and then Kittens. I forgot all about Kittens. Oh yeah, they're. I think more and more in Winnipeg, they're kind of like the legendary band at that time. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you um when you first started taking up bass, was it something you always wanted to play? Uh, yeah, actually it was. I mean, a lot of, a lot of times people say they picked up bass because they didn't want to try and figure out guitar. But for me, it was always bass. It was when I was first starting getting into music. Um, it was always the bass that struck me, like in the Who or the Jam or any of those kind of bands. And so it was always the, the instrument I was most drawn to. Yeah. And so you would say the Who and John Intwistle was a big, big influence, but like who, what other kind of bands like would you listen to just sort of just strictly for bass? It's funny you say the Jam too. Uh, well, certainly like this is, I'm thinking back to when I was 14, 15 and really getting into music, but, um, I was very into that kind of mod scene when I was young. So that, that was a big part, but I mean, obviously Paul McCartney, but that, that seemed like a whole different world to me. That was, uh, a different type of bass playing, which as I get older, I have more and more respect for, but 
um, even then I, I was always drawn to the bass lines in the Beatles. Yeah. I was listening to that because I just have the satellite radio in my car and I listen yeah. to the Beatles channel and I can't believe how incredibly loud the bass is in the mix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. And, and I found out later that he actually helped kind of engineer. Uh, it was around the time of the song paperback writer, I think. Mm -hmm. And apparently he, this is kind of neat. He, he was saying to uh, George Martin, you know, like I'm listening to this stuff from Motown and that was, around the time Motown was really getting big. And he goes, listen how loud the bass is. And the bass is like the main thing in the song. Why can't we do that? And it was something about well, the frequencies or something. So he, I can't remember what it was, but he did something that allowed the bass to just have this huge sound. And I guess then George Martin compressed it so much that it just sat in the right place. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, yeah, it became, that was like the lead instrument in a lot of Beatles stuff. When you think of it, it was. Yeah. Like if you listen to All My Love and early Beatles and listen to that bass line, it runs all over the place. Yeah. It never, yeah. ever falters. And it's yeah. so inventive. Just some of the notes that are played, you're like, I can't believe how you know, in sort of a restrictive kind of time. I guess they were sort of making up the, the, the story as they went along, but how that could just be so groundbreaking. And, you know, the other, the other thing, when, when he, when Paul McCartney went the wings, I realized, I thought maybe they forgot how to tune because you hear some of the bass takes, like Band on the Run, yeah. the bass is out of tune. Is that right? I've yeah. Take a look. When you wow. listen to it, you're like, holy crap, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that was in a weird way on purpose but i don't, I don't know. know it seems very strange yeah yeah so so when you um you put your first record out with do a tank i yeah, you know, like i said i was proud enough and and happy and you know i boast the fact like i saw actually saw the first one of the first shows the first show i'd imagine that you kind of did when you broke out on your own with them yeah. out of away from zen bungalow and then started do a tank and i always thought it was so neat like did you ever follow like that band called the inbreds they were a duo yeah I we did, but we didn't really know that much about them when we started. Um, it really like Duo Tank started with me doing that show because nobody else wanted to play, and then Sean, he and I had shared a warehouse, and uh, then he wanted to start playing drums. And we initially wanted to get a guitar player, but there was no one really that we wanted to play to that we thought really added something, and we wanted to keep kind of a minimal feel. But it wasn't necessarily going to be just bass and drums. It was just it ended up that way. Then we heard about the inbreds. It was after we kind of started yeah. and I uh, started obviously hearing a lot about them after that. But the only other band that I was thinking of that made me think, hey, you can do bass and drums were, were two bands. No means no when they first started. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know if you remember this band from Fargo. They're called Godhead Silo. Familiar, but yeah, I don't know. I don't recognize the name. It, it was around like that time, mid 90s and... Um, they're a lot heavier than we were, obviously, but they, yeah, they were bass and drums. So did, you, did you ever try to do compilation albums and stuff with, with all the duos? Uh, no, no, nothing like that. Although, uh, this is another kind of strange thing. It, the reason that I even did that show in the, in that basement and, and thought of doing something is because John Sutton wanted to do a album of Winnipeg musicians covering the Smiths. Mm. I don't know if you remember that at all. I do that, remember that now. Yeah, Fresh, yeah. Fresh Red Records. That's what it was called. And I don't think he ever, no, he couldn't have ever done it. But yeah, so I was going to do a cover of, because uh, that's another bass player I really like, is Andy Rourke. I was going to do a cover of uh, First Album. And I remember the name of the song. Anyway, it was a Smith song. That's so funny. Yeah, John Sutton lived in that house too. Uh, who else lived in that house? It was mm, Darren Acorn lived in that house. Right? My yeah, and he played with us in Zen Bungalow for a bit. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember him practicing to sting songs like all the time. Like all he was the... he was a real drummer. Kinda. He was a total drummer, drummer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he practiced. Uh, yeah. No, he's still. I I haven't talked to him in a very long time, but I I think he I heard his playing over like ten years ago, and it just got better and better and better and better. It's oh yeah, it's insane. Do you do you actually hang? Do you see still see some of the old crowd around? Uh, you know, not as much. A lot of the people from those days either like have moved away or um, everybody just kind of holes up, you know. But I still see a lot of people when I when I go travel, like Jamil from Kittens. I see him every time I go to Vancouver, and there's a lot of friends in Toronto too. Mm-hmm. So I see people, but not necessarily here in Winnipeg. Yeah, how's the weather yeah. there right now? It's not bad. It's like yeah. minus five or something. Oh, it's not bad. Oh. Actually, it's colder here yeah. right now. Then. <laughs> oh, like okay. Minus seven right now. Yeah. It went really warm, and now it's like. It's like really cold again, and which makes it even oh. worse. Even worse, right? Yeah, it is. It's like that kind of damp cold that just kills you. Yeah. So, putting out. Uh, do you still? So you, it sounds like you still play music now, or is it part of this duotang thing, or is it just your own? No, this is this is just something I was actually goofing around with before duotang got back together, and I thought, you know, this is a good opportunity maybe to try and uh, at least finish it off, even for my own sake. So I've got a piano upstairs, and I was just tracking some piano for it. Yeah. yeah, the thing, the thing, and the blessing thing, and the bad thing about owning your own recording studio is that it takes forever, forever to do to complete. Yeah. Oh, I know exactly. I'm trying not to do it. I don't really have the ability, but I can do some tracking here. So I, I have a stand-up piano that I like. I'll do that, and the rest I go to. Remember Cam Lepke? Yeah. Yeah, he's. Uh, it's at his place that I'm doing most of the stuff. Yeah, because he did a lot of touring with you too, right? Yeah, he used to tour with us, and now he. Well, he was also the weaker than sound man, and yeah. he right now actually he's in Vegas with the crew from Sloan because he does some work with them. Oh, okay, because that crew is in Vegas doing uh, with um, a guy Kevin Hilliard. I got invited to it. It's like a. Oh. It's like a retreat. It's like a getaway. Yes, for, for dudes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I got invited to it and I couldn't go because my wife was away and I it would cross over where we'd oh, both okay. be away from it. our kids would just be sitting there watching T V by themselves and <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's a uh I wanted to go really bad. But man, I, I the uh, the invitation's open. Have you ever did you get invited? Have you been invited? No, no, I wasn't invited. Oh, it's a fun it's supposed to be super fun. Like Kevin Hilliard tells me some crazy like it's just for fun. Like you can stay in your room for the whole three days if you want. Or oh, okay. you can go do whatever you want, you know, sort of like a, a dude's getaway. <laughs> well, last night I was texting him, begging him to help me with some recording thing on Pro Tools, and then he sends back a picture. He's at the uh, the the Vegas hockey game. Yeah, that oh, thing. Positive. Yeah, there's ah, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Yeah, that, that's very funny that you were going to go. I'll have to mention that. To you. Yeah, I was. I got invited by Kevin, and Kevin. I don't know if you know Kevin Hilliard. He played in a band called National Anthem. He was also in Grace Babies back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, East Coast band. band, but he uh, he's still he's still kind of like he's like he was in Tom from the Carnations band. Yes, uh, Small yeah, yeah. Sins, and he he clapped. He was the clapper. Okay, yeah, I remember that band. I, I quite liked that band. They were amazing. They were really yeah. good. Yeah. When um, did you ever have the aspirations to move to like Toronto? Did you ever live in Toronto? No, I lived in Ottawa. That's where uh, I was before I came to Winnipeg when I was a teenager. And yeah, I mean, especially when Duotang was playing a lot, people would say, you know, you should come out east, you should move to Toronto or be in a bigger city to, as a base. But um, 
I, I never felt that I could afford it really. Like, you know, especially when we we're touring all the time and I was barely being able to afford rent in Winnipeg. Yeah. And, uh, and then just, you know, life goes on and all of a sudden you realize, wow, I'm still here. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. A lot of my friends are in Toronto and I love Toronto. Um, but like, it must be really hard to get a decent place, especially downtown. It must be so expensive. It is, but it's obviously when we, when I moved to Winnipeg, it was unbelievable. I could rent a room for a hundred dollars a month. <laughs> exactly. It was also 20 something years ago, but I wonder it's probably $120 a month now. Yeah, it's still relatively cheap. Yeah. Um, you know, actually, an interesting. I, I went. I was there for. Um, I was working for a band that was opening for Zach Brown, at like Blue Bomber Stadium a couple of years ago, and we're staying at the hotel, the Delta downtown in Winnipeg. And I said, I'm gonna go see where I used to live. And they go, oh, okay, well, cool. So I walk and I I find sort of get my bearings and start walking. I'm on McMillan. I'm going like seven o whatever seven o seven o one. It's torn down. It's gone. What? The whole house no. is gone. Yep. Because I'm I'm in that area now. I'm pretty close to it. It's completely. Jeez, I didn't know. It's gone, and wow. and it was so like oh okay because in my mind I was thought I'm gonna go knock on the front door I'm gonna tell the people hey uh, I used to live here maybe you could let me in and I could go yeah. take a look at you know look where I used to live and sleep and they would say yes and offer me something to eat and I would go to the basement and see where we you know <laughs> it was these crazy punk rock shows and stuff. And have oh, like dance parties, and you know it's gone. It's completely gone. It's very sad. Oh, that's... Yeah, I, it's funny because I I go by there and I keep thinking it's because you know time goes on, you forget exactly which one it was. But I just remember the porch was almost ready to fall into the ground, and <laughs> I thought that was the place. But I guess yeah, it's yeah seven oh one. The reason you can't find it because it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it's a little bit of history gone. I remember. I think Chris Hanna lived across. It moved into Acorn, Darren Acorn's room, and I th believe he painted his room black with like the Venom logo, like the, the goat's head, whatever, like Venom logo on his on the ceiling of his room. It was. <laughs> it went a little crazy <laughs> after I moved out. I think. <laughs> yeah. So Dude, what, how long were you here for then when you lived here? I lived there for about a year and a half, and okay. uh, I was there for about. Oh, two winters. I was was yeah. there for no a winter, a winter, and then I went to come into the second winter, and I moved home because I was I got so ill like over that winter before, and it was sort of a weird situation where I was playing in a band that I thought was going to be doing more as a band, and right. you know I wasn't I didn't I was surprised because you which, know which band was that? Was no, I'm Red trying to remember. Red Fisher. Oh, Red Fisher, of course, right? Yeah. Right, right. So I thought the band had more aspirations, and I moved. I moved my whole life to Winnipeg to be in this band, and I was wondering why nobody was taking it as serious as I was. <laughs> you know. Well, remind me, yeah, because we certainly I was good friends with John at that time. He left to the Weaker Thans, right? Is that Jason? What Jason went to the Weaker Thans and Sutton. Jo John ended up replacing me in in Red Fisher, John Sutton, and then yeah, yeah. So it, and John Stewart moved out to Vancouver. And Vancouver, yeah, I still see him once in a while. I eventually think. joined the Black Halos and uh, other bands, and still plays. Actually, I I texted yeah. him a couple of years, like a year and a bit ago to say let's hang out, but it, he was playing a show ironically that night, and I was like, I just flew in. I don't really feel like I mean, you know when you get old, you're like I don't go to the punk show. <laughs> I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so did you uh, did you do the marriage thing? Like what was what was life for you after you know playing in a band? Well, basically we're common law like uh, yeah. 
Jen, Jen and I live together. So we have a house that's not far from 701 McMillan. Mm -hmm. It's on Warsaw. It's in that general area. And, I know uh, that. Yeah. Is. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, do you work in, you work in the nine to five? Like what's your, uh, what's yeah. your, what, what happened after, like, did you get a, a career in, in work or? Kind of inadvertently, like, um, when Duotang was playing a lot, we, uh, you know, I didn't have any money and I was kind of, and then I met this guy in Calgary and he was, uh, he liked our band and he, he liked, I remember it was No Means No and, and Duotang, you mentioned were bands he liked. And the guy seemed like a great fellow, really good, you know, seemed like good taste in music. And he would come to the shows, we'd chat about music, but he had this job where he would study buildings and uh, like have to come up with values. And then one day he said, you know, we need a guy in Winnipeg to just go around and photograph buildings and do some research. I was like, that sounds amazing. That sounds ideal. So I took the job and that was like many years ago. And I've just stayed with that general field and uh, just kept working to the point where now I, I do these kind of valuations of commercial buildings. Really? So that's my job now. Yeah. Yeah. So do I'm you. taking courses. Really? Yeah. Oh, because yeah. I always like to hear when people sort of, they live their life as musicians and then sort of assess their lives you know and what what sort of age did you sort of realize like i'm gonna kind of pull away from music well i didn't want to pull away but i didn't want it to be my like my main focus yeah because music was all i did and then i would just try and find odd jobs to to live and so th this was when i was 29 and uh i was you know flat broke and this guy had this opportunity i thought i'm gonna take it so my plan was i would do this and still be able to do music so duo tank still continued for a while mm -hmm. but you know gradually that shifts yeah. and all of a sudden you're no longer a musician with a part-time job you're a nine to five guy who plays shows on weekends <laughs> yeah well they, you know yeah. they say the human brain is only fully developed after the age of 27 so you know oh, okay. you give yourself a certain amount of time to 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 be a fuck up to to basically <laughs> you know you finally turn around at a certain period of time in your life and you go okay what's happening what's going to happen how i'm gonna you know become more um, more of a human being that inputs into society or whatever? Uh, I don't know if I had that thought, bro. It was literally like, I need some more money to pay rent. And, uh, but I, I didn't mind the job. Like, I, I mean, I get to inspect and look at buildings and stuff. I think that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So, but time goes by and all of a sudden you go, holy shit, am I still doing this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, as you I, know, the other thing is funny when you say, I knew a lot of people that took odd jobs as a musician too, and it turned into, uh, we either went either way. Went your direction, where they actually sort of pulled something together in a life and a career, or they stayed. Yeah. You know that broke musician. And I have feelings for both sides of it. I mean, someone who does suffer for art—that's it's pretty commendable. But oh, yeah, but totally. at the same time, some and that person who suffers for art is more likely to ask to borrow money from me. You know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I I respect that a lot. What what I was afraid of is. Uh, being in the position where you have to now do music to live, like, and then you start doing things that you maybe you wouldn't necessarily want to do. Not that they're bad, but it's just not your real comfort zone. Yeah. And I know a lot of people like that who, and I have no disrespect for them. I, you know, I think it's awesome that they still want to do music, but they're not doing what they want to do. They're doing what they have to do. And I don't know. I, I, I always hope that I could keep music something that was an escape and something that I really wanted to do. That mm -hmm. was my own personal thought on it. No, that's a, and that's a noble thought. That's a, that's definitely a noble thought because you've put music into a, a, a category of being art, not a commodity. And that's right. same thing. If you split it into, you know, how am I going to write the next song that's going to make that's going to pay for my house? 
Yeah. Uh, that's different than saying, how am I going to write the best kick song ever that's going to be yeah. my favorite song for life? And, and it's exactly what you just said. Like, I, I know some folks, and I think they're far more talented than I am, but they, they literally start looking at music like a science because they're trying to figure out what formula it's going to be that's going to make them this much money and get this much airplay on whatever station, you know? And, yeah. and that, that's, that's never really interested me that much. I wouldn't want to have to just do it to be able to pay rent. Well, there's a lot of people, actually, people I knew that went into, like, the commercial and scoring industry. And uh, I, I dip my toe in it, too. And it's funny because they say that a lot of it's like, make it sound like this. Make it sound like that. And, yeah. and you're like, well, why don't you just go? Oh, I see why it's too much money to go get that yeah. song. So you want me to kind <laughs> yeah. of write a song that sounds a little bit like like that. Yeah. And I understand. I've spoken to people and one person told me that it's like a challenge. Like it's a super challenge to try and create something that has the same essence without being a complete ripoff. Right. It's, it's hard to do. Yeah, I can imagine. In a way, it's probably just as much its own art form, like to to be able to do that. But yeah, it's its own challenge. It's not my cup of tea. It's not my bag. Yeah, yeah. When you and it's it's even beyond just that. It's not my cup of tea. I I don't have the the musical ability. I don't think to do those kind of things and make music my life. You know, that's another thing. Well, I think um, you're limited. I think you 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 know you. I think you're selling yourself short in that one. You know, like. If you can still do what you do and enjoy it and write refreshing songs that inspire people and, you know, like even even when I heard, that was relatively new stuff I heard. And I was like, my gosh, this, and if it wasn't, it was it was completely and utterly baffling because it sounded so modern and fresh, <laughs> you know. Oh, cool. This is a, the Duotang song. Yeah. 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 Well, it's likely, yeah, that was probably one of the new ones. But I'm glad you say that because to me, it doesn't sound any different than the stuff we did in the late nineties. And it makes me kind of happy about both because neither above their time in a weird way. Yeah, it's true. They were all like a little bit, like I said, it was, it was sort of, um, it was, it was refreshing because it was, I don't know. It's, I just have this weird meter. I can feel like the excitement of it, you know, and I felt that sort of like freshness of it. And it's always revitalizing, you know, and I don't know. I mean, it's romantic to think that, you know, you still got it or whatever, you know, like that. But everybody <laughs> creates something that is a reflection of who they are, you know, and that's what music's all about. And and you created something that sort of like relived maybe something that that same feeling. I don't know. Just it oh, was that, good to see you. that you guys were still kicking it and still doing it. And that's it's pretty inspiring, you know. That that's uh, that's probably the best compliment. So thank you very much. Well, no problem. Do you um do you have like do you ever have the thought like if someone said like here's here's your mortgage covered for the year go out and be a musician again is that like would you trade it i again if i could if if i could do it where i'm playing the music that i want to play yeah. um yeah oh i'd do it in a second but uh i i just don't know if that would ever actually work but if i could if i could do exactly what i want to do and the sort of music that i like um uh, let me you not know, get carried away here. I would love to do it, but I think another thing is, as you get older, like it's hard to tour. We used to tour like mad, yeah. and I think back, uh, you know, there'd be times you didn't have a place to sleep, and you just grab the microphone and say, "We need a place to sleep tonight." And you'd end up sleeping on somebody's floor, and you're totally fine. It was just the best thing in the world. Yeah, I couldn't do that anymore. No, <laughs> there's no, no, me neither. I was talking to Stefan from All. And he goes, yeah, you t- when you turn 50, you just don't want to sleep on floors anymore. That's just something yeah, that right. you draw that line. You know, the line is that I won't sleep on floors. 
and uh, I, w- I went out to Europe a couple of years ago with some friends and played some songs and everybody got a bed. I mean, it was like, whether it be in a hostel, which was like high living for touring and that yeah. you, you get a bed to sleep in and we'll do their best to make sure we're not broken down on the side of the road. Still going to be yeah. a shitty van. And uh, it's funny how you look back on like romantic times of touring and, you know, having, having like a, uh, having that feeling of being young and i don't know when i think of it it kind of makes me feel young again you know yeah and and when i look back i think you know because i spent a number of years um after finishing university where i just played music and uh many would think you know you you kind of threw yourself off from a regular life with that but i don't regret a minute of it it was like the it was the best time of my life i just absolutely loved it and we had such a good time when we were touring yeah a lot of fun yeah that's amazing so is there any thoughts of more shows coming up or what's what's happening with, with the... yeah oh yeah uh we we just took the fall off i was doing some others like i've been jamming with some good friends of mine who are actually some fantastic musicians and guys as well who they, they live for music they have like small jobs on the side and they play music but they play out in the clubs all the time but they're they're some of the best musicians at playing that kind of post-punk sort of stuff and this is actually awesome because they have a band called the Windups here in Winnipeg. I don't know if you've been through town in the last number of years. They've been around there. I think it's their 10th anniversary in a couple of weeks. And they just play the bar circuit in Winnipeg, but they do it playing songs like The Damned and, uh, you know, The Clash and all that kind of stuff. And then, and they really like a lot of the kind of pub rock stuff. So they do like Dr. Feelgood and all that. <laughs> but I'm thinking this would be this would be awesome in a major city. And this is in Winnipeg. Like they're just a gem to have in the city. So anyway, long story short, uh, one of the guys in the band, um, Rob, emailed me a few months ago and said, hey, do you want to do an X tribute? So we did a couple shows recently of that. One was just last week uh, where the band X from L.A., we, we did a bunch of their songs. And, uh, and that was tons of fun. Yeah. So between that and then the stuff I'm working on my own, I haven't seen Sean in a while, but we're supposed to do a couple shows coming up. And then we'll be out in Toronto, actually, I think. Uh, at the end of may okay doing uh where are you gonna play do you know i don't know yet um but there's a band called you know the shanks they're another bass drum yeah they were playing with them and then we're doing a stomp thing in montreal as well and a few other shows in between are you, you so may is that puts fest or is that something else yeah, yeah. i think that's the one that's yeah the one. yeah puts is a great it's a great festival actually it's our okay it's like a, a set by southwesty kind of thing Without being north by northeast, if you know what I'm saying. Well, wait a minute. Is it is Stomp Records the ones behind it though? I don't know, but it's uh, there's Hugo Moody who plays in. I can't remember the name of the band. It's a it's like an out it's like a club to club festival, like all the clubs. God, that, that, and this you're talking in Toronto. No, no, Montreal. Yeah, no, that's the one then. Okay. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry, son. But you're in Toronto right now. I am in Toronto, but I I oh okay. yeah yeah I'm well I'm uh, an hour and a bit outside of Toronto, but yeah yeah. Mm. So whereabouts? In, okay. do you, so if you play Toronto, um, when, so we should anticipate something like in May. You said, yeah, it'll be uh, third week in May, I think. But I I know nothing else about it right now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure. yeah, yeah. How do you guys? I haven't even really. Uh, how do you guys get here? Are you flying? Like, yeah, yeah. When we've come up the last few times. So on this particular jaunt, what we're gonna do is we'll fly out, meet up with the the guys in the Shanks, and then we're gonna play a bunch of shows with them and. Uh, I think actually now they're going to play at that festival as well mm-hmm. um, because we, we said to Stomp, like, we have no equipment and uh, and the Shanks are amazing anyway. So, And Stomp said, yeah, we'd love to have them play. Oh, cool. 
Oh, I love that. I love the community. That's that's the best part yeah. about, about our our little country has such a great community like that. I'm yeah, sure well, it exists this, in the states too, but this is a good example of that. Like we met these guys in in Austin last year at South by, and um, I can't remember how, how it happened. Somebody said, "Hey, do you know these guys are from Canada and they're a bass and drums band too?" And so we went and saw them play, and and I was like, "Wow, they they are amazing!" And then we just started talking and drinking. We ended up hanging out all night, yeah. and uh, kind of became fast friends. Yeah. When you uh, when you play live, what do you what do you use to to do you have a couple of what's your what's your rig? Whoa. Uh I've been using the same bass since Duotank started and the thing is so crusted and sweat and just grime, but it's a Fender Jazz. Yeah. And that's that's been the bass that I mean I had a Rickenbacker for a while until it was stolen and I've tried P basses, which I think I like better as a bass overall. But for Duotang and that kind of chordal sort of stuff, I, I like the jazz a lot. And then I, I really keep it simple. It's um I mean, if I have my preference, I'm using uh, a, a trainer tube head and an Ampeg uh, 810 or 410 and yeah. then a bunch of pedals. That's about it. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. It's it's an interesting way to fill the sound in, too. I mean, playing it live and recording it, you get a little bit of trickery you can get in there, but you really notice, like, where the strengths and weaknesses are of, of a duo, you know? So when you can, you know, fill it in, with what you got that's in play in a way that doesn't sound like you're overplaying, but at the same well, time, you know. And this is exactly what I've found is that um, I hear a lot of the bands now who are, are quite big, who are bass drums. Like I'm thinking death from above, for example. Yeah. And, and even the shanks. Um, and they're usually running multiple amps and they, they create this massive sound. And that's really the way that, you know, I guess it's the better way to do it because you get that massive sort of wall of sound. But if you're playing through one amp and and it's just you and a drum set, you have to kind of do things differently, right? Because you're trying to fill in those gaps. And uh, and I think that's really interesting. And that's one of the things I really enjoyed about it. It's a bit of a challenge. Like you, you have to even create the songs in a way um, that will allow that sort of space. Yeah. I was listening to uh, uh, a Joe Jackson song recently and it, it kind of reminded me of that. It was, it was an old song called mad at you. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just basically bass with a simple pattern and a great drum pattern. Uh, and then the guitar is more just kind of an effect. It's almost an afterthought, yeah. but the song just has such a great kind of melody and the way it's structured that uh, you don't miss anything. It's really kind of neat. Did you ever follow the Ben Folds five stuff? The early Ben Folds five? Oh yeah. Yeah. I actually, uh, it was when we were on tour in Montreal. I remember somebody said, Hey, you might like this band. And they put it on. It was around that time of the uh, "Give Me My Money Back." Yeah, yeah, the whatever and ever, back. amen. Yeah, I, I was floored, and I was floored because of the fact that they were so minimal, and yet they just sounded huge. Yeah, well, that first record is a big, big, big life changer. There's certain records in my life, like that I listen to, that makes that changes. You know, like yeah, that's one of them. And like Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast, for different reasons, like. Uh, right. Like Death Cat for Cutie, Transatlanticism, like all those, these records that kind of like take you and go, ha, what do you think of that? Yeah. You know, like, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and it's funny you mention that because there are certain albums that I've always loved through life. And when I put them on, this is what I think is magical in some of these records that you're in a, a that whole album, you're in a different place. Like, it sounds like you're in a different, they've taken you to some other place. And, and that's something that I think is just amazing that I have no idea how they attain. I think I think that is one of the best art thing or uh, artful things in music is when they can take you to a different place in their sound. Yeah, Joy Division. 
Yeah, great yeah. example. That's probably my all-time favorite album, and that was a big influence on Duotank too. But I put on Unknown Pleasures, and it always is like a different world. And, and when you put that. it on now, it kind of takes you back to where you were when you first heard it. Like, uh, yeah. I know when I first heard The New Year by uh, Death Cab for Cutie, I was in Europe. I was driving around, and I heard that breakdown part where, everybody put your best suit and dress. And I was like, what the? What is happening right now? And my whole body, I'm tingling now thinking about it, but oh, my wow. whole body was just, like, vibrating. Like, this is so yeah. fresh and exciting. And, and it and really it really does take you back to, like, listening to it for the first time. And that's right. kind of what music is. That's what makes it so, um, I mean, listening to music to, for me. And it's it's really hard as you get older to try and find something that you can hang on to like that. Well, I, and I was saying this to a friend recently. I, I said, I think 2017 was the worst year in music ever. And then I said, but the fact I'm saying that isn't the music's fault. It's my fault. <laughs> I've hit that stage in life where I always used to say when, you know, some old guy was like, oh, music stinks now. It's not the music, man. It's you. Yeah. You just hit that state. And so I think last year I, I hit that state. But then I back up and think, no, it was pretty bad, too. <laughs> yeah. But there's, I mean, there's bands out there. And, and I, I am so, um, I'm such an old person that i i can only um palette i have a palette for a certain amount of music and you know and i try to listen to new music and i try to explore new music but it's so much of it and it's so i don't know it used to be like here's this type of music here's that type of music. it seemed more simple in the olden times yeah yeah that could be true i i just try and find like i have the satellite radio station i'll listen to it and 90 percent of the time it's just kind of eh. but then I wait for those magic moments where I want to pull over the car and wait to find out who that song was Yeah. or now on the screen, I guess I could just read it, but you know, actually being feeling stopped and, and you, you just want to find out who that is and then instantly go home and download it. Yeah. And that still happens once in a while, but that's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. I mean, the only band that really took me was, uh, was Whitehorse. Um, oh, uh, they're great. It's just, I knew I listened to the older stuff and went, older stuff being five or 10 years old, but I'm like, cause I always remembered veal. Remember veal was, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. and, and in the early days, but I was like, white horse was that band. And they actually played my venue as a two piece too. Actually, they have like these loops and they play as a, as yeah. a, as a, as a duo, they're a husband and wife. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 And listening to the way they play and the way they pull it off live, it was like, yeah, I'm a fan now, you know? And so maybe that's a band that I can explore more of. And, um, you know, I, I listen, I hear stuff like on like Spotify or whatever and go, I'd be into this. And then I forget, <laughs> never, follow, yeah. never follow up on it. And uh, <laughs> it's sort of a nonchalanceness that I think that I have and maybe society has. It's sort of like, eh, you know, um, I've seen everything, heard everything, impressed me more. Yeah. Yeah, that could be true. So where's your venue? I uh, work out of the Richmond Hill Center for the Performing Arts. It's a uh, soft seat theater just uh, north of oh, Toronto. Uh, right. Yeah, I've been there for, it's going on, it'll be over two years now, but I worked at York University for 10 years before then uh, as okay. a systems tech, like a staff member doing sound and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing more um, technical directing now at my, at my work. So I'm doing more um, advancing shows and, and booking and scheduling and of crew and, and less grunt, like getting up at six in the morning to do some crazy corporate show at seven, you know. So, uh, yeah, a lot of things changed over the past three months for me. So I'm pretty excited about it. That's you know? awesome. 
Yeah. So, so when I talked about people continuing with a life in music, that's not what I was talking about. I was talking about doing the bar gigs and playing like uh, the latest covers. But so what you're doing sounds great. Yeah, no, it's neat. You know, we get to book stuff in that's sort of like it's safe for our community, for the community I live in. Like we're doing like a Roseanne bar, bar show. Uh, we're doing a Louis Anderson show. Oh, yeah. uh, who else do we have? Um, we had uh, Ramin Karamalu, which is like a Broadway singer guy. But we also, like, I'm trying to get him to book Neil Finn, uh, the guy who books all the shows. I was like, please book Neil Finn. I keep asking him every year, like, when are you booking? And he goes, our our, uh, grand, our, um, sorry, our um, general manager goes down to New York and books stuff down there. And, like, we're booking air supply or something, you know? It's like, no, 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 no. No, Neil Finn or... Neil Finn, that would be incredible. I know, right? Like, I've always been a huge Credit House fan, even though I sort of came up in punk rock and stuff like Crowded House has been a band for me that's always split ends Crowded House is just two things that just changed my life you know so I don't know if you were here because it was around that time it was like early mid 90s that and I didn't go to the show but they played here in Winnipeg Mm -hmm. and as time goes on that's one of the shows I hear about being one of the greatest shows ever in Winnipeg yeah I missed that show because I was recording and I had free entrance to that show Oh, really? And I chose wow. to go record because I had a free recording session to go to. So I didn't go to Crowded House, my favorite band of all times at the Walker Theater. I re- at the Walker, that's right. Yeah, that I it. recorded at Bedside Studios for free. Uh, uh, which, oh, no. Yeah, so I regret that because <laughs> that was really close to when, just before Paul Hester had quit or had yeah. quit, and they had the drummer from The The playing drums with them. Oh okay. Yeah, but hmm. it was. The, I have the book, the the biography. They talk about that show in Winnipeg, like being you're really? right, epic, amazing. No way. Yeah, wow, that's... yeah. The biography is is pretty awesome because the good thing about the Crowder House biography, because every time they mention something, like we were on this thing, you go to YouTube and you can see it. Like you can actually see right. that performance. They did a intimate and interactive at on Much Music, and you can see the whole show on on YouTube, and you can see them like because they weren't really getting along at that point. And you can kind of see them kind of like not digging, you know what I mean? Like you know, digging the, yeah. each other. Yeah, yeah. It was a shame about Paul Hester, huh? Yeah, oh yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny you mentioned that though too, because um, just the other night I, I sometimes go through these phases of just watching YouTube stuff, like, and, and it, often I'm craving seeing old like much music interviews, like the Wedge in those days. Yeah. And I came across some stuff of the Pixies and I was watching that and kind of knowing now that they were about to break up and, you know, kind of reading into what they were saying and stuff. And I, I had a kind of a good time with that. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a there's a, a wedge with SNFU playing a song on it and uh, they're being interviewed by Suki, Suki uh, Yin Lee. And uh, they go, oh, you have keyboards on your record. And in essence, if you go, yeah, Simon played on it. And then you can, he clicks over to me and I'm sitting there like, whoa, out of nowhere. And there's me like in whatever, their mid nineties wearing a Sunvolt shirt, like waving at the camera. So on there for like (laughs) two seconds. That's like a very proud moment in my life because it was on the way. I didn't know you played keyboard on the record. I played on the Fulaba record. I played on Bobbit. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. I did a lot of touring with him back in in the day. Uh, as oh, a yeah. sound guy, yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, hey man, um, this is great. I, I let me know when you come to town, and we'll, uh, yep. me, you know, we'll do something, um, whatever you want to do. Go hang out, have a coffee, have a beer, yeah, have a I'd wine. love to catch. Mm-hmm. Well, been... I've got your. I'll just text you as soon as I find out. I should know more in a couple of weeks, so I'll just give you a text, and yeah, it'll be late May though. 
Yeah. It's been too long. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, Simon. This has been a lot of fun. That was Mr. Rod Slaughter from Duotang. And that was a fun conversation. I haven't spoke to Rod. You know what? In all honesty, I haven't actually had a real sit-down talk with this person that I've known for 24 years. So that was a good thing to do. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. Thanks if you have gone to betterhelp.com slash epilogue to get some free online help. It's affordable, and you can get it anytime at anywhere. There's, I believe there's even an app. Um, it's a very new sponsor, so I'm still trying to figure out how the thing works. But I do know if you go to epilogue.ca slash... No. But I do know if you go to betterhelp.com slash epilogue, you'll be able to uh, use the code word epilogue and get seven free days of counseling. All right. Thanks, Amazon shoppers. You know what to do. Go to epilogue.ca slash Amazon. And thanks to the patrons I have. Go by and you can be a patron too by going to patreon.com slash Apologue. And that was a good week. I had a good long... Actually, you know what? Honestly, I had a long week. I was uh, I was out for four days with a band called Lois Low. And you Americans, you might know who Lois Low, but the Canadians, you most definitely do. It was four days of touring and doing sound and, and, and you know, staying up late. And my voice kind of hurts. But um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great time. So... Next week, I got a few... Um, I got a good one next week. I got Brian from the band called Gods of Mount Olympus. And it's going to be a fun, fun time. I got a couple more that I'm going to record tonight. And then, so I'll get the get the little bank back up. But thanks, everybody, very much every week for sh- coming in on this show. It's very, very uh, flattering to see the numbers and see people downloading this. And I appreciate every single one of you. We'll see you next week, okay? Have a good one. Bye.